The Lord be with you. And also with you. The word became flesh and dwells among us. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service in our midst, and especially come Sunday as the Spirit moves your presence with us in worship. Especially today, we are honored to welcome to our pulpit the Reverend Jennifer Quigley. As part of the completion of her path toward ordination as an elder in the United Methodist Church, Reverend Quigley brings us the sermon this morning, A Glimpse of Christmas. Many of you know Jen as our chapel associate for vocational discernment in which role she works with undergraduate Boston University students who are contemplating entry into theological study and ordained ministry or other forms of faithful service. The vocational dimension of our work at Marsh Chapel is crucial and central to our mission in these years. Jen and her husband Soren have led in the creation and development of this part of our ministry. Thrice graduated from Boston University, with BA, MDiv, and STM degrees, a triple terrier. Jen is now a doctoral student in the Harvard Divinity School, working in New Testament and early Christianity. We are grateful for her ministry and for her voice in the pulpit this morning. We particularly welcome her mom and dad and family members who have traveled to be with us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
us pray. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10, through chapter 62, verse 3. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to say verses from Psalm 148 with the antiphon. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all his angels, praise him, all his host. Praise the Lord, sun and moon, praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded, and they were created who established them forever and ever, and fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters in all depths. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling God's command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let, let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has created a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are near their God. Praise the Lord. And now rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
be seated. My thanks to Dean Hill for the generosity of the opportunity to preach, and to my husband Soren for the generosity of letting me preach the lectionary texts on the day they were actually assigned. He took on the far more difficult preaching task of this gospel lesson a few weeks ago. Did you catch a glimpse this Christmas? A glimpse of light, a glimpse of glory, a glimpse of salvation? Perhaps out of the corner of your eye this Christmas, your vision was warmed by the hazy glow of stringed lights, and you felt the light of God well up in you for a moment, a glimpse of the light of the star over Bethlehem. Perhaps in the quiet hum of a carol over the percussion hiss of the radiator and the crackle of the fire, your ear caught a tune both new and familiar. Perhaps you caught a note of angel song, a glimpse of the glory of the heavenly host singing. Perhaps in the sticky embrace of a child with candy cane stained hands, or in the cool dry kiss of an elderly parent or grandparent, you felt a sense of connection, communion with the past and the present and the promise of the future all at once. Perhaps you caught a brush of a king's cloak or a shepherd's homespun, a glimpse of salvation offered to all, prince and pauper alike. Perhaps you caught a glimpse this Christmas. I hope and pray that you did. It's what we wait for, what we long for in the preparation of Advent. We wait and long for an experience of the presence and power of God and humanity. We wait for Christ. And the author of Luke Acts introduces us to Simeon and Anna, adding narrative to a long wait for consolation and redemption. In Luke Acts, we have a gospel that grasps for hope in the aftermath of a failed real and apocalyptically imagined political revolution, struggles for some kernel of identity in the midst of real or imagined rejection, and wrings its hands over real and imagined competition from fellow Jews, fellow philosophers, and fellow cults. And lurking in the background of the composition and compilation of this text, a growing anxiety over fellow Christians who believe differently and are unafraid to say so. In the gathering of these texts and these stories in the late first into the early second century CE, we find early layers of polemics, perhaps against Marcion, as Joseph Tyson has argued. So just as the writers and compilers of Luke Acts wait and hope for a crystallized Christian identity that can resolve theological conflict, so Luke Acts crafts characters who wait and hope for a crystallized, or perhaps we should say incarnate figure, who can bring heft, weight, and reality to the longings of Israel. So Simeon waits for consolation, and Anna waits for redemption. These are personal stories, but they are universal hopes, and both Simeon and Anna are rewarded for their long wait with a glimpse of Jesus. And for them, a glimpse is enough. Even Paul, in the midst of his grumpiest letter to the assemblies in Galatia, in his long wait, manages to catch a glimpse of Christmas. Now, the previous sentence needs uh, some unpacking on several letter layers. 
First, the letter to the Galatians is undoubtedly Paul's grumpiest letter, although that's hardly a formal New Testament studies term. And this letter, Paul foregoes his usual epistolary custom of giving thanks. For example, the beginning greetings in Romans are followed by, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. In Philippians, Paul and Timothy write, I thank my God every time I remember you. But in Galatians 1, we move right from the greeting to, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And things go downhill from there until Paul finally resorts to name-calling in chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. Paul does not seem to know, or if he knows, to care about the infancy or birth narratives of Jesus. For Paul, his primary focus is on the glimpse of the risen Christ that has caught him up in a transformed hope for the reconciliation and consolation of God to all people, including and especially the Gentiles. However, this passage in Galatians 4 is the closest we get to a Christmas message in Paul. In the fullness of time, God sent God's Son born of a woman. But I would argue that Paul's real glimpse of the meaning, consequence, and yes, incarnational theology of Christmas comes in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Because we have caught a glimpse that God lives among us, and because we can call Jesus brother, we are able to be called children of God, and because we are children, heirs of the promise of God. This is Pauline incarnational good news. But let's be honest, Paul is caught in an apoplectic and apocalyptic waiting game. And I'm not sure that for Paul, that one glimpse of Christ is enough. And if we're honest, too, about our own Christmas experience, there might have been a little Galatians time in the midst of our waiting for our next glimpse of God. Gratitude left unoffered, frustration over expectations unmet, tensions or infighting amidst family and friends, and perhaps even a little name-calling. Or worse, the deep tug of disappointment, the gnawing absence of those gone, Paul knew these feelings, too. An uneasy waiting. They, too, are part of the Christmas story, because a glimpse is just that, a glimpse. Momentary, fleeting, the briefest flicker at the corner of vision, a single strain of music, the quick brush of a hand. So often, our religious experiences, those saving moments, are a mere glimpse. Christmas comes and goes, and in the blink of an eye, it seems five Christmases have flown by. A theological question lies before us today, modeled by Paul, Simeon, and Anna. How can these glimpses be enough? We might expect that someone like Mother Teresa, saint of Calcutta and founder of the Missionaries of Charity, who worked with the poor, sick, and dying in India and around the world, must have regularly experienced the light of God in her life. She must have had such a constant vision of God to do the work she did for so many decades. But in reality, the opposite is true. In Come Be My Light, an autobiographical collection of writings compiled and edited posthumously by her closest confessors, 
we find that after a powerful experience of a call to serve the poor, Mother Teresa experienced decades of silence, loneliness, and darkness. In the midst of the explosion of her work and ministry and the rapid expansion of her order all over the globe, she never once caught a glimpse of God like the one that so inspired her. Writing to one of her spiritual directors, she recounted, Now, Father, since the age of 49 or 50, this terrible sense of loss, this untold darkness, this loneliness, this continual longing for God, which gives me that pain deep down in my heart. Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. Mother Teresa's story is not some happy ending fairy tale where after a call experience and a brief narrative tension of divine silence, a light from heaven breaks in to provide resolution. Rather, Mother Teresa's story is a very human tale of waiting and of finding enough in the glimpses of God to sustain us for the long work of faith and for the process of sanctification. We do have a theological term for this. You've probably heard of the phrase, a dark night of the soul. The phrase comes from a poem and exposition written by St. John of the Cross, a 16th century Spanish mystic. John describes the crisis that people of faith sometimes encounter, these periods of absence, longing, and confusion. And we who live in New England, who have just passed through the solstice, the longest, darkest night of the year, know this experience intimately. But John of the Cross writes, Into this dark night, souls begin to enter when God draws them forth from the state of beginners, which is the state of those that meditate on the spiritual road, and begins to set them in the state of progressives, which is that of those who are already contemplatives, to the end that after passing through it, they may arrive to the state of the perfect, which is that of the divine union of the soul with God. Now, I don't know if John Wesley read or knew John of the Cross's poem, but I think that's about as good a description of sanctification as I have come across. The salvation process, the process of being made well, of being made salvus, well, whole, the process of receiving balm for our sin-sick souls, is the work of our entire lives as we continue to grow more open to the grace of God flowing into us. Salvation, a glimpse of Christmas, does not mean that we wake up the next morning feeling spiritually whole and perfect. The Christmas season through Paul and Simeon and Anna also teaches us that faith is about waiting. The question, though, still lingers. We have a little comfort from Teresa, John of the Cross, Simeon, Anna, and yes, even Paul. But the catch in the throat is still there. How can this glimpse of Christmas be enough Teresa washed, fed, and cared for the dying alongside her fellow sisters and the missionaries of charity. Silent John worked closely with St. Teresa of Avila to found the barefoot Carmelites in Spain. Simeon reaches out to a young family scraping enough together for the offering for their son in the temple. Anna, widowed for decades, spends her days in the temple sharing conversation and hope with those who enter. 
and Paul has his beloved assemblies, whom he writes to and longs for even when he's at his grumpiest. A glimpse of Christmas is enough when we join in with others in a community of faith. A glimpse of Christmas is supported, encouraged, and perhaps even sustained through the regular rhythms of life in the family of God, through the interconnected feeling of participation in the body of Christ. You might not feed the physical or spiritual needs of thousands, but you can bring a homemade dish to our potluck next week and get involved with our abolitionist chapel group. You might not punctuate your silent contemplative life with communal daily participation in the full liturgy of the hours, but you can be present in worship come Sunday. You might not be a prophet, but you might share a good word with a member going through a difficult time or a visitor overwhelmed by the space and the service. And you might even write someone a letter, a physical letter opened with a proper line of thanksgiving. When a community of faith shares its glimpses with one another, these glimpses, seen at different angles and heard with different pitches and felt with different textures, they begin to coalesce into a clearer sense of God's vision. I hope and pray, brothers and sisters, that you have caught a glimpse of light, glory, and salvation this Christmas. And I also pray that those saving glimpses you have had are enough for the work of Christmas to begin in this community and in your community of faith. Or, as Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, former Dean of Marsh Chapel, puts it in the Christmas poem we read here every year, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among peoples, to make music in the heart. Have you caught a glimpse of God this Christmas? Is it enough? Enough to sustain the work of faith and faithfulness? Enough for an assurance of things hoped for? Enough for a conviction of things unseen? May we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, give us a glimpse of you this Christmas. Sustain us for the work ahead so that the glimpses we have had of your light, glory, and salvation are enough by your grace and by the support of a beloved community. Come, be our light. Amen.
Please be seated. Beloved, as is our weekly pattern, we invite you now to be and to attend to an attitude of prayer in the posture you most prefer. You may sit in the pew or stand or come to the communion rail and pray as together in preparation we sing our call to prayer. Gracious God, loving and holy and just, in this Christmas tide we lift our hearts in thanks and praise. We again link our personal stories with the universal hopes whose glad tidings we have heard again this day. And we come in this sanctuary ready again, poised again, to live before thee as the glad-hearted women and men we are meant to become. With glad hearts and curious minds and eager spirits, we offer ourselves in prayer to thee. We gather some clinging to a hope deferred, some concerned about the health the well-being of loved ones, some remembering the joy of birth and baptism a year or years ago, some longing, longing for new life and new relationship, some ready, expectant, anticipating what cannot yet be foreseen. Great art thou, O Lord, fully to be praised, morning by morning, evening by evening. Open to us a glimpse of Christmas this hour, we ask. Especially, dear God, we pray thy blessing now, praying for the gifts from your hand of confidence, of certainty, and of sureness for the days to come. In this Christmas season, help us to receive, we ask, with confidence the many surprising gifts embedded in our personal lives. Help us to notice the unexpected possibility, the new friend, 
the unusual word, the strange connection. Help us to see more than we plan to see, to receive more than we expect to receive with a confidence born of obedience. Teach us to claim some certainty in the midst of uncertainty as individuals and as a community. Teach us, we pray, the path we best should trod into the unforeseen. Teach us rightly, we ask, to connect yesterday with tomorrow in the light of thy certain love. Dear God, we pray, shower with a cool saving rain and a moist power the leaders of this world with sureness to seek justice and peace. Help those in the torn out conflicts of our day to continue daily, surely, with a glimpse of Christmas to seek the full promise of the Prince of Peace. Kindle daily in the hearts of great leaders an even greater desire for peace with a sense that surely goodness and mercy shall follow. O oh Lord, we pray thy blessing in this hour to receive thy gifts of confidence and certainty and sureness for the days to come. For we lift our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends near and far, friends seen and unseen, friends actual and virtual in this hour of worship, we send you our very warmest Christmas greetings 
with hopes and prayers for the best of blessings in the year to come. Take a moment, if you will, to connect with those about you following worship by greeting and shaking hands and sharing a name. Take a moment to use the red pads in the pews to identify your contact information for us for the years, for the year to come. And please, following worship, take a moment to greet and embrace and honor our preacher of the day, the Reverend Jennifer Quigley, whose voice and presence in this hour we may allow to stand not only for her own future ministry, but also as a personification of the work invocation that this community has assiduously been doing over the last several years. We at the end of this year remind you, as we say frequently, we offer one another the opportunity for generous giving. No one benefits more than the giver in the generosity of the gift. We only possess, finally, what we have the freedom to give away. You only have what you give away. So on an annual basis, in pledging, or on a yearly and lived life basis of tithing, or in thinking about planned giving, we commend to you the practice of charity and generous giving. Particularly, we especially encourage our radio and internet listeners to take this moment to go to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, click on the giving link, and make a generous year-end contribution to support our ministry. You may also simply send a check to Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue. Your tithes and generous gifts do strengthen this Marsh Chapel ministry, a heart in the heart of the city, and a service in the service of the city. As the choir ministers to us, our ushers wait upon us in the morning offering.
Dearly beloved, let us pray. Gracious and holy, one God in holy community, bless and multiply these our gifts that we receive from your provision, that we may be nurtured and encouraged in our faith to continue your work of love and justice in the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, and in the lively creativity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By God's grace, may the sights, sounds, and feelings of Christmas Day carry you through the whole Christmas season, and with the support of your sisters and brothers in Christ, may your faith be sustained and enriched for the year ahead. Amen. <laughs> 